Felicity Fury is on a mission. She's on a mission to help millennials become the leaders that they need to be in the future. She works a lot with young women, particularly engineers, and in the areas of science, technology, engineering, and maths. She's there to bust down stereotypes, and she's there to make young people see what's possible in the future. I'm going to enjoy this. Here's Felicity Fury. All right, welcome to the Reset Podcast. Felicity Fury, is it good being you? Loving it. Yeah, especially with a name like Felicity Fury. It is awesome, isn't it? And we were just talking before we started about your son. You're, you're a new mum? That's right. Take us through it. that. I've got an eight-month-old baby. His name is Winston. We wanted to give him a big, strong, powerful name, uh, the name of a leader, and he's just awesome. I'm loving being a mum. Winston Fury. Is, is it a Churchill thing? Well, my husband's middle name is Winston, and we think his parents got it from Winston Churchill being a great leader. Right. We thought we'd uh, continue the theme. Have you got a favourite Winston Churchill quote because he had about a million of them? Oh, my gosh, so many. There was one I heard this week uh, that was, I love, I like the one around um, success and failure and it's the courage that continues to count. You know, failure is not uh, failure is not final, success is not, no, totally stopped it. <laughs> Can um, edit that part out. <laughs> failure, is not, failure is not final and success is not permanent. I think it's something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, something like it? that. And uh, it's yeah. the courage that continues that counts. He's got so many good ones. He does. I love that. If you get, if you're going through hell, keep going. Yeah. That one, that that one's one of my favourites anyway. But we can edit out whatever we like. Um, so so tell me about you. I want to I want to hear all about the all the different things that you do because you have you juggle a whole bunch of different things that are all about changing people's perception of the status quo, and I, I love hearing about that. So tell me about a couple of those. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Brisbane. I never knew what I wanted to do when I finished school. I love art. I love being creative. And I also really love science and physics. And my teacher suggested I do engineering. And I thought, that's just crazy. I'm not smart enough to be an engineer. Engineers do maths all day. That sounds so boring and not creative. But I actually found myself studying engineering and realized that engineers create the world around us. And I fell in love with it. I realized engineering is super creative. But what I also saw was that there weren't many women or people who were different in engineering so Mm -hmm. that I guess it got made me quite angry actually I got really frustrated and pissed off about it because there was a lot of talk but nothing was actually really happening so I thought well instead of being pissed off I should actually go do something about it and that uh, choice to to go take action really led me on a completely different path and now I've started multiple businesses in that area reached over 10,000 students and engaged them about STEM and now uh, I'm working on training the next generation of leaders so I kind of got hooked on business change as a result of so tell us about the power of engineering yeah so power of engineering is the not-for-profit that i started it was a one-day event for girls in year nine and ten to learn about engineering and we did hands-on workshops and site tours and that event ended up being really successful we had over half the students change their mind from a no to a yes about considering a career in engineering so then that led to uh, making it into a not-for-profit we've had uh, partners like Qantas and Boeing and Telstra jump on board has become a national organization and it's run completely by volunteers and led by young people which I think is awesome that we're getting young people in the industry having those skills uh, in leadership uh, from the beginning. So, yeah, it's an awesome organisation. 
There's something about it, and I know there's a, there's a lot of statistics on a lot of things involving you know stuff like they know that boards work better if they if they have a female on the board, and it gives a different perspective of how you do things. And one of the things when I when I was looking at your your speaker reel of, the, of some of the things you talk about, you talked about engineering. We have this concept that it's all about maths and physics and all of that sort of stuff, but but you kind of broke it down a little bit differently. What what did you say engineering was about? Well, I think fundamentally it's about making stuff for people or making things work better uh, or work better for people. And really, at the end of the day, everything in engineer designs is for people. So I see that maths and physics is still a part of engineering, but it's kind of like the toolkit of the engineer. And we need to think more about why of engineering rather than kind of the nuts and bolts of tech. Like, sure, it's cool if you can code, um, but so what? Who cares if you can code? What is that for? What are you actually designing and creating for people? And that's what I think the perception of engineering needs to shift to in the broader community is where we're creating those things um, for people and making the world a better place. Well, it's almost like we need we need both. Like you, you need that person that can code and make sure that everything's perfect and it's not going to fall down. Definitely. But if that's your only skill set, you're not really going to be creative and you're not going to make things that have that the feel and the human touch, which, which you know, without sexual stereotyping, Girls are better at than blokes are as a rule. Yeah, I think there's a lot of perceptions about what makes a good engineer and I think the traditional approach is someone who can sit down and do the calculations and we definitely need that and that's something that's not my strength. And I thought, you know, kind of growing up as an engineer that I should be really good at that and that's the only way to be a successful engineer. But our projects are so complex and so complicated now. We need so many different types of people solving these kinds of problems. And we also, I think there's stereotypes of blokes as well around like you can't be emotional and you have to, you know, toughen up and all this kind of stuff. So I think all genders face some of those stereotypes around who you can be and um, engineering profession certainly faces the stereotypes so if you're not good communicators, um, so yeah, we need a whole mix of people to to solve these challenges we're facing in the world. And and the other one you, you talk about is young people getting in and doing more of these sorts of things, and young people in leadership roles. Which um, yeah, so t- tell us more about some of the stuff that you do with that. Yeah, so once I sort of opened up this can of worms of, oh, there's not many women in engineering, I then started my own business and we got an investor to back our company. It's an ed tech company in maths resources for high schools. And I saw, oh, okay, there's not many women uh, business, actually, there's only 2% of women-led businesses actually get funding. It's just crazy. The numbers are terrible there as well. Then I looked at corporate and then there's only globally 29% of managers are women. Like this, it's not even 50-50. So everywhere I look, they're just... At all levels. Yeah, it was, it was from, uh, I think it was like senior management. So like not even like the executive level. It was, you know, kind of that middle management. So it, I noticed there was a, lot, a lack of diversity across... Uh, leaders actually as well. So I thought again, what could I go and do? What can I do about that? So from the experience I've got in starting the not-for-profit and being a leader from an early age, I saw there was lots of ways to fast track those opportunities. So now I'm working with young leaders to fast track their careers and to get ahead more quickly. And I think by working with people from those diverse backgrounds or who are with females as well, we can then accelerate their, their leadership and then get them into those roles more quickly and I think that's just going to be better for everybody if we're having that diversity at the top. So what what sort of skills what sort of 
things do they need to know that they probably have some deficits in that you guys are helping them with? One of the probably the biggest ones is around being visible. So I think we're in Australia, we're not very good at, uh, you know, saying how great we are. There's the tall poppy syndrome. And yeah, there I is. think a lot of leaders sell themselves short. The people we work with are amazing and making a massive difference. And it can be hard in our society to talk about yourself and how, how great you are. So I think being visible, getting an executive mentor is really powerful and getting that sponsorship at the top can then um, get you those connections and get you in rooms that you could you could never be in. So they're kind of two of the key things. And the third thing I'd say is probably actually going and demonstrating your leadership. You might not necessarily get the opportunity within your workplace, and that's okay. I understand that there's lots of different cultural norms we've got to kind of battle in the workplace. There's actually a lot of opportunities outside your workplace to get those experiences by doing, you know, participating in community events or, you know, not saying everyone needs to go start their own not-for-profit, but they people can get involved in other leadership opportunities outside work, and that's a really simple way to fast-track your career and demonstrate your leadership and actually practice some of those leadership skills. Yeah, nice. And it, do you, there, there's a I have a little perception, and I don't know how true this is, but we've we've had a sort of difference in over the generations. We've had a very big difference in parenting. And if you look at parents of my parents' generation, they were pretty much, you know, bugger off, we'll see you when it's time for dinner. And they cared, but they didn't. You, there was not a lot of control. It was just come back whenever you like. Whereas the kids that are growing up and being in that leadership positions now, they've very much had helicopter parents and snowplow parents that have got rid of a lot of the problems for them. And, you know, some of them perhaps don't have that backlog of, you know, I had a stressful situation and I dealt with it. How, how do we overcome those sorts of problems? It's such a great question. It's that training that resilience and it's a thing a lot of teachers actually talk to me about. Even though we're talking about engineering, they say, what are these 21st century skills we need to teach students? I think resilience is a really big one. Um, I've certainly had uh, a number of challenges in my life. When I was uh, 22, my father passed away suddenly. And interestingly enough, my two business partners, both of their dads died when they were quite young as well. And so we actually found while it was a, you know, that's a really awful experience. I'm not saying everyone, you know, I don't want anyone to have that experience, but it really did teach me a lot about life and some really hard lessons and I've had some pretty big failures along the way in business. So um, I've been, you know, fortunate enough to have some um, experiences that have taught me about those, those tough times. And I think it is a challenge for young people today. Where do you get those, um, yeah, where do you get that experience? And even just in my friendship group, I see a lot of people have, like aren't great with money because their parents have given them money um, and supported them along the way. So they're actually missing out on a lot of key life skills. So I think it, people have gotten really comfortable, particularly in Australia, and so we actually need to be working on things that are pushing our boundaries and failing. And if we're not failing, then you're not learning as much as you can learn and growing. So I think that would be a good question for the listeners is where when was the last time you failed and are you actually are, are you failing because I think we're not pushing ourselves as much as we could be. Yeah, or are you not failing because you're not pushing it as well, so... Yeah, it's it's an interesting one when you go back to that parenting idea. And as someone who's a, a young parent now, I don't know whether it's something you've you've thought a lot about of what's my parenting strategy going to be. But I I watched um, the, the show Freakonomics, and they actually did the science on it, and they, they they did the science on what made a good parent. 
And one the biggest correlation factor that they had that made a good parent was they were the one that bought the parenting books. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even have to read them. They just cared enough to buy the book. But one of the things we've, we've shown is that that snowplow parenting really has a backfire effect in that you, you don't have the resilience and stuff you need. So what is the answer then? Do it, like, this is a really hard question and I'm just dumping it on you now, but it's, it's something I've been pondering for ages and I can't, I don't know, I don't know a good answer to it. Like going back to just let kids do whatever they want and sort their own problems out, that probably doesn't work. The, the seventh place ribbon probably doesn't work. I don't know what, what is a happy medium there. It's a really tough one to think about. And someone with an eight month old little baby Winston, it's, it's a something worth thinking about, I think. Yeah, I've definitely been pondering what my, my style will be. I feel like he's showing independent signs already of even just, you know, wanting to eat his own food and not he the, this morning he refused for me to feed it to him. He wanted to grab it and eat it himself. <laughs> so he's um, showing some independent signs. I um, I think, it, yeah, it's I have thought about it a bit and it's hard, it's hard to know, I think, until you're in that experience as a parent. And recently I've been doing some work with leaders around what um, – what makes a high-performing team and Google did research on this and they found that the biggest indicator for a high-performing team was creating psychological safety. So having it, right. you know, be in trouble if you fail um, to, for you to feel like it's okay to push those boundaries. So I think that would be something I would bring into my parenting is, um, you know, having that balance between, you know, giving in a have, letting him give it a go and then, um, you know, kind of reining it in as well. It's really hard. It's so hard until you're in this situation to know what you It think. is, isn't it? <laughs> I remember um, a friend of mine gave me an, an article when my daughter was about five or six and the, the article was called The Power and Peril of Praising Your Kids. If you, if you Google that, it's a New York Times article. You can read it really easily. And it, it talks a lot about the work by Carol Dweck, which talked a lot about... Um, about growth mindsets and stuff like that and her her advice was to always always praise the process don't praise the the outcome and yeah. to to praise how hard they worked rather than you're so smart and yeah. um i th- i i think of everything i've ever learned that's probably had the biggest return on investment of yeah. anything um you know my daughter's just left school and you know she's a good human so it's um yeah, it was it was pretty good advice that I really both my wife and I took it to heart very much. So and it it worked very well. Yeah, it book's amazing. I love it, and um, that's something we talk a lot with our students about, particularly around engineering. And mm-hmm. when they're doing experiments, they sort of like they often don't want to even try sometimes because they don't want to fail and make a mistake. And we have to explain it's part of the process. And I love how Carol Dweck talks about not yet and how yet can be a really powerful word. Yeah, it's a great word, isn't it? Yeah. It's a great word. It's a, it's a great word. I actually hate the word mindset because um, it makes it in, that your mind is set, even if you've got a growth one. It's I just I have a real issue with the word, but I guess you've just got to use it in context, I guess. But but um, yeah, that book was amazing. Carol Carol Dweck's just absolutely fantastic. And if you know, um, one of the things you see with parenting a lot is that we praise girls for being beautiful and we praise praise boys for being big and strong and. Uh, you know, it's just not ideal. Both of them we've got to praise for how hard they try and, you know, how yeah, much effort they put in. Great BBC documentary two-part series on this and they actually switched all the words around. So they did it with uh, six-year-olds and they uh, went into their houses, they changed their toys around they ch- and they put words in the classroom. So they're saying girls are strong, 
um, boys are good with their feelings, like that kind of thing, you know, that the opposite of exactly what you just said. And yeah. they did training with the parents and it made such a difference because at that age, even when they're six years old, there is no difference physically between uh, boys and girls on their strength. And yeah. it was fascinating, the experiment. And by changing the language, you can have so much power over how the students thought and perceived themselves. It was amazing. Yeah, I'm on a little bit of a mission to because, sh- as you know, I, I, I love talking about stress and how stress is a wonderful thing and all of that sort of stuff. And one of the things I want to be able to change is people tend to dump so many things in and just say this is stress or this is stressful. And, you know, we've got to get some more words. You know, you look at how many emojis you've got on your phone and all of them are for different emotions, yet we use about three of them in the way we speak. And I, I think that's something we've probably got to change. And and I, I think that's a, a really good place to start with, you know, particularly trying to get trying to get girls into things like STEM and into just for, for people who don't know, STEM is science, technology, engineering, and maths. There we go. We just thought I thought a bit we probably should have cleared that up at the start. <laughs> but um, yeah, but getting them into that, if they're if they're if we're praising the the way that they solve problems and things like that, then I think we're gonna get more of that. So we've almost Almost got to start it like that BBC documentary and start it nice and early that that yeah. girls are are great at fixing problems and girls are great at solving things because, like you said, engineering is about making stuff for humans and and girls have a a way better intuitive way of how humans work, which um I dare say you know becomes a very good piece of the engineering puzzle. So, yeah. as far as the what sort of what sort of obstacles are in the way for for like millennials that do want to become leaders, what what are the what are the main problems that they're coming up against? I think a lot of it is um, people's own your own perception of yourself. We were just doing an interview today with one of the leaders in our program, and she was saying that she felt like her age was a real barrier, and that's certainly something I've experienced. So I I know that I looked quite young, and when I was starting out in my career. I was managing a portfolio of $45 million worth of projects and I was 23 and I, you know, would be great on the phone with people and then they'd meet me in person, the relationship would kind of change. <laughs> Looking young, I felt like got in the way. So I think is your that, mum coming sometime soon? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> coming instead. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, it's interesting how that shifted people's, people's views potentially sometimes. But just speaking with our young leader today, she was saying how, a lot of it was in her own mind that she was not, she felt I look young, therefore it then showed up as a lack of confidence for her in the workplace and that certainly mm-hmm. happened to me. So I think young leaders uh, might have uh, perceptions about themselves like I'm too young for this or I need some more experience. So I think those own personal barriers can often get in our way. And then I think the other one is there's... What advice do you give them in that situation where they are having that, that sort of you know, crisis of confidence and stuff? What, what sort of advice do you give them? Well, I think it would um, come back to the Winston Churchill quote I was trying to say at the beginning around it's the courage to continue that counts. So often we think, oh, I'll just wait until uh, I feel like I'm in the mood or I'm going to wait until this or, you know, wait until X, Y, Z until it's a sunny day or I feel like it. And those days aren't going to come. It's about taking the action and then through taking the action you build your confidence and through practice and making mistakes. So that's what we do a lot in our leadership program is we actually provide that safe environment for leaders to train and practice and even practice within the group in, in our sessions so that then they're going into the workplace and they can actually 
actually, you know, do it in those moments uh, because they've got that that confidence. And Alida today was saying she went out on site and she went, no one actually knows I'm a graduate. No one actually knows how old I am. And she conducted herself on this two-day site experience and she just said that she nailed it because she had that inner confidence and she mm. just cleared in herself. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And it sounds like the work that you're doing with the, with those guys to, to give them that inner confidence, it's it's a it's a fantastic thing to do. So yeah, that that's yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. So when um when you look back, if if you were gonna give, you know, twenty-three-year-old you, who I, I think probably didn't need a lot of advice, I think she had it pretty <laughs> sussed anyway, but what what's your what's your chestnut that you give to give to a girl that's thinking about getting into STEM and thinking about getting into engineering, what's your, you know, what's your, your one thing you'd like them to, to get? It would be like that you're, you're valued and your opinion is valuable. And no matter who you are, where you're from, what you have to say is valuable and worthwhile. And even if people don't take on your ideas when you say them out loud, you still would have had people think. And I often was too afraid to speak up, particularly early in my career because I was the only woman in the room. I thought if I say something and I get it wrong or I say something stupid, they'll remember me because everyone remembers your name when you're the only woman in the room and they'll go, that woman in that meeting said that thing that was stupid. So I often got really afraid and would would take a step back and not really say what I wanted to say. So I wish when I was younger I had that, um, that courage to speak up and say what I thought, even if people didn't take on those ideas. Because the important thing with diversity is that you not just have a diverse place, but it's actually inclusive so people can actually speak their mind and, and say what, that what you know, get that different perspective out there. And have that little bit of fault tolerance. So it's okay to make a mistake and it doesn't make yeah. you a bad person. It's it's just a mistake. We'll, we'll fix it and move on. That's it. I think we're so scared of failing. I certainly have been scared of failing. I was even talking about it with my husband this week about launching our next uh, you know, campaign around our leadership program to get more leaders in. I know our program is making such a difference, but I was scared of putting the word out there and thinking, oh, what if I fail or what if it doesn't work and what if I make a mistake? Because we've failed a lot of times before uh, with some of our marketing that we've done. And yeah, it's just, oh, it's just so funny how it can just get you when you're least expecting it and that fear yeah. can just paralyzing um yeah it's quite extraordinary yeah it can and it really can the the Wayne Gretzky line of um you know I've missed every shot I didn't take um you know that that's one that always always sticks in my mind that if you don't have a crack and that and that that sort of man in the arena thing that you know you don't have to listen to anyone that's not in the arena covered in sweat and and dirt and blood so you know those sorts of things come to mind with that sort of stuff but Felicia, I've been loving the work that you're doing. It's been absolutely fantastic. And, you know, we have a generation of people that needs more of you. And uh, thanks very much for doing what you're doing. And thanks for coming on the Reset Podcast. Thanks, Luke. Such a pleasure.